What historic artifact is kept in a climate-controlled vault in hopes that one day its secrets may be revealed? And what superstar in 1973 had to be restrained by six security men from storming the stage at the Oscars? Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. Well, we all felt like we needed a side road to sanity recently with the big slapping incident at the Oscars. Slapgate, Bob. Slapgate. Slapgate. (laughs) Funny. But you tell me that that's not the first time there's been almost violence at the Oscars? Absolutely. So the question is, what superstar had to be restrained from storming the stage in 1973. I bet it was John Wayne. Oh, very good. And you know what it was? It was the incident where the the actress came up and she was posing as an Indian and she got George C. Scott's Oscar. Is that what it was? It was Marlon Brando's Oscar. Marlon Brando for Godfather. I'll be darned. And her name was Sasheen Littlefeather. Her real name is Marie Louise Cruz. But she was a Native American. <laughs> Apparently, yes. There's There was a lot of back and forth. But I did a deep dive, and yes, she was Native American somewhere along the line. She was only 17 years old at the time when she went out and accepted the award for Brando. And she wanted to speak about Wounded Knee and the treatment of the American Indians in the film industry. Remember, they had everybody but Indians playing Indians. That's right, yes. That's right. Well, anyway, John Wayne, was he was off in the wings. And he was so livid at this woman who was speaking, but he also was livid at Brando. Wayne said Brando should have been up there talking about it if he felt that strongly instead of sending some little unknown girl and dressing her up in an Indian outfit. So he had to be restrained by what again? Six security people. Wow. He is a big guy. Would he gone up there and slapped her? I don't no, know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but she was uh, given 60 seconds to speak, and then they arrested her. <laughs> Arrested her? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Marcia, your item was suggested by something that recently happened. My item is suggested by something that recently happened. So here's the question. What historical artifact is kept in a climate-controlled vault at the National Archives in the hopes that one day its secrets may be unlocked? What item? Yes. It's a physical item. Is it an Egyptian thing or a United States thing? It's a United States thing. It It dates from the 1970s. 1970s? It has a number on it, 342. Is it from the moon? No. No? Is it from uh, Deep Dig? What is it? It is the White House tape number 342. (laughs) From the Nixon Presidential Administration. Now, we recently had the seven-hour gap in the records for President Trump on January the 6th, 2021. This is about the famous tape with the 18-minute gap. Right. And the Nixon administration, it covered up what was believed to be a conversation about covering up the Watergate break-in. Exactly. Well... They tried to decipher that. Oh, they think that maybe someday they will. That's right. Fascinating. They think someday technology will catch up with this problem and they may be able to pull out the conversation. 
in 2003, the chief archivist concluded, I'm fully satisfied we've explored all the avenues to attempt to recover the sound of this tape, but we will continue to preserve the tape in hopes that later generations can try again to recover this vital piece of yeah. history. So it's kept in a climate-controlled vault in the National Archives, preserved with the hope that its secrets may one day be unlocked. Okay, Bob, if you have termites, why is it bad to play rock music? It's bad to play rock music for termites. Yeah, if you have them in your oh, house. Oh, it must agitate them. Actually, they like it. So they work faster and more <laughs> diligently. More efficiently. Yeah, they eat wood twice as fast when listening to rock music. And in 1968, there was a study done in Florida, and they found that termites respond well to heavy metal music, and they just chewed faster when they were listening. Oh, dear. <laughs> faster, more efficient destruction of your house yes. if you have you termites see, yeah, in rock music. Down in heaven. Who knew? <laughs> Let's go way, way back in history now. This is the time of Marco Polo. Marco Polo went to China. What was the thing that confused him the most and astounded him the most? Oh, gosh. China must have blew him away. Oh, what would be the most? I don't know, Bob. Was it a structure? No. Was it? Uh, it was a medium of exchange. They exchanged silk and uh, the, the things they used for money? Paper money. Paper. They had paper money. They had paper money in China, and he was just amazed at it. You know, he got there, and he saw so many wonders, gunpowder and coal and eyeglasses and porcelain. But the thing that astonished him the most was a new invention implemented by Kublai Khan, a grandson of Genghis Khan, uh-huh. paper money introduced in 1260. He thought that Kublai Khan possessed the secrets of, of magicians because he had the art of producing money. It's so fascinating. Okay, so here's something a little more arcane. What is the most common color toothbrush people buy today? I think green or blue. One of those. Blue. Correct. Ding, ding. More people buy blue than any other color. And red is the second. Really? Yep. And according to Capitol Hill Pediatric Dentists... What? Capitol (laughs) Hill? More people own and use a mobile device than those people who own a toothbrush. What? Yeah. Yeah. The world has more than 8 billion mobile devices, and only about 3.5 billion people are estimated to use a toothbrush. Oh, this is strange. Yes. That's a strange statistic. That's why I brought in the Capitol Hill pediatric dentist. I'm just hoping (laughs) somehow these people find a toothbrush to brush their teeth. Yeah, that's that's a lot of people not brushing. Okay, I have a question for you on Oscars, okay? Uh-huh. Who is the only movie maker who's been nominated in his category in six different decades? The only movie maker who's been nominated in his category in six different decades. So I gave you a clue six there. Six different decades. It's a man. Decades. Six decades. He's still alive. Wow. Okay, give me the decades. The 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, and 2020s. So that's six decades right there. Somebody like... Uh, Somebody who was just nominated again oh, in really? 2022. I should know that. Spielberg? It was Spielberg. Yeah. He received a Best Director nomination for West Side Story in 2022. His first nomination was for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Was it that long ago? 1977. So he got a nomination for each decade in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. Six decades. He's uh, been nominated eight times for the Best Director Award during his career. Well, has he but won, Bob? He won twice for Best Director and one for Best Picture. So uh, We're talking about Spielberg. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Okay, Bob, Australia is Earth's smallest continent. It's closer in size to Greenland than any other continent. So why did geographers decide Australia was a continent instead of an island like Greenland? It has something to do with the continental shelf, I think, doesn't it? It's part of it, but it's not the biggest part. Okay, I don't know. Australia is a much larger landmass than Greenland, roughly 3 million square miles compared to Greenland, which is 836,000 square miles. Okay. But also... Much of Australia's plant and animal life is endemic to the country, including its indigenous people. The Aborigines in Australia are found nowhere else in the world. The DNA is unique. It is very unique. Just like the animals, too. So unique continent, unique people, unique animals, because you have marsupials there, which are the animals with pouches, yeah. kangaroos and so forth. That is correct. Those are all unique. They can't be found anywhere else on Earth. Yeah, and it's a lot bigger. Hmm. That's why good old uh, Greenland is in the continent. Okay, so we talk big. Let's talk small. What state yeah. has the smallest county by area in the United States? In the United States. Well, tell me what part of the United States. That East, west, of, north. Okay, I'll give you four choices. East, west, north, or south. East? No, no, no. <laughs> Connecticut? Yeah. Texas? Rhode Island? Or Hawaii? I'll say Hawaii. It is Hawaii. You're right. It's America's smallest county. It's Kalawau County on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. It's small, very small, only 12 square miles in area. This county has a population of just 82 people as of the most recent census. So it's the second smallest county by population, first smallest by size. One of the reasons this county is small and so isolated is it once held a leper colony for a number of years. That would keep it down. Yeah. Victims of what is now known as Hansen's disease. That's the term for it now. For leprosy? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I think they've conquered that with, uh, with penicillin, haven't Most they? Most of it. Yeah, it's a bacterial infection. Yeah. All right. Before MASH, most sitcoms were filmed on stage sets in front of a live audience. To enhance the wartime realism of the show, exterior and tent shots were shot on location. Where? Southern California. <laughs> it was Malibu. They're oh, mo- no kidding. They did it in the mountains near Malibu. And in October 9, 1982, as the series was wrapping up production, a sweeping brush fire destroyed most of their outdoor sets. Wow. The fire was written into the final episode as being caused by enemy bombs, uh. and that forced the MASH unit to move out. The site today is known as Malibu Creek State Park, and some of the original set locations are still intact and open to visitors. I didn't know that. That's why I'm here, Bob, to enlighten you. Okay, let me ask you this question. In the Andes, how was time often measured? They didn't have clocks. How did they Where? often measure time? In, in the, the Andes. Andes. In the Andes. The Andes how Mountains. Was, how was time measured? South America. Well, I would think by the sun or the moon or some kind of things, but you tell me, Bob. Depends on how long it takes to chew a quid of cocoa leaf. Oh, well, that was my next response. <laughs> so sometimes the destination was said to be so many cigarettes away. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is funny. I like that. Oh, and what use do Eskimos have for refrigerators? <laughs> keep their snow in? I don't know. They what? keep their food from freezing using refrigerators. Oh, they keep it from freezing. <laughs> Is that, that's Isaac Asimov's book of facts. It that's sounds funny. almost inappropriate today to talk about that yeah. that way, but I thought that was fun. That is. Okay, we should take a break, Bob. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. 
We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith, and Marcia has a question. What island has changed ownership more than 700 times? An island that's yes. changed ownership? Yes. More than 700 times. 700 times? <laughs> How many years does that take? Uh, a lot. So this goes back centuries. Yes. Okay. What part of the world is this in? Or can you give me some choices? Sure. It's between France and North eastern Spain and southwestern France. That'll give you a complete understanding. Oh, that helps me so yeah, much. So, come on, what's the island? Okay, Gibraltar. No. What island is it? Pheasant Island. Pheasant Island. Yep. It's for the birds. Okay. <laughs> it's wh- between wh- France it? and Spain. There are no permanent residents, Bob, and it's only two acres, and hmm. visitors are banned. Why? Except for twice a year, Government representatives from each country come together to transfer ownership. Oh, twice that's a why year. it's 700 times. Yeah. After the 30 year war ended in 1648, France and Spain signed the Treaty of the Pyrenees and made sure it would alternate ownership in perpetuity to demonstrate equality that's between the two nations. Very odd, isn't it? Yeah. Buddy. So it flips back and forth between France and Spain yeah, every twice year? A, twice, twice a year. Twice a year. Yeah, that's nuts. I don't know why. These people need a life. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let me ask you this question, Marcia. This goes back to the 1920s, okay? Okay. What famous woman tried to make it look as though her husband had murdered her and set the whole country off on a wild goose chase? Is she an actress or a. She was an author. She was an author. The most famous crime writer in well, history. Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Did you know about this incident? No, I didn't. Tell me. She tried to construct the perfect crime that would have her husband tried, convicted, and executed. Her husband, the colonel, had a mistress he planned to marry. Ah. And she lured him away from an engagement party he was throwing for his girlfriend ah. by telephoning and threatening to make a scene. Ah. So he came home to find nobody was there. Later, police recovered a car at the bottom of a chalk pit. It had been pushed in. The ignition key was off, and a fur coat was inside, and so was her driver's license. Now, police knew of the colonel's marital situation and his mistress, and they forbade him to leave the area. And then 2,000 people plus the Army and the Navy searched a 40-square-mile area of England looking for the body with tracking dogs and planes. A water hole was even dragged. Oh, my God. Finally, 11 days later, his wife was found at a hotel, <laughs> a very famous spa, where she was enjoying herself, playing billiards and uh, um, so forth. She had registered in the name of his mistress, last name. Oh, re- hell hath no fury, Bob. Yes. Wow. Now, the official story came out she had amnesia. She didn't know what oh, she was doing. Oh, that's funny. And then some people think she actually did have a nervous breakdown, but she never, ever fully addressed it in her biography. It's always been a matter of, did she intentionally do this or not? But it looked as though she was the original Gone Girl. Wow. Jeez, that's a cranky girl. Agatha Christie, yeah. Her own mystery. (laughs) No, I never heard that story. Yeah, how about that? Well, speaking of writing, the very first pencils arrived around the dawn of the 17th century. That's even before you were born. Thanks a lot. After graphite was discovered. But the eraser didn't show up until the 1770s, at the tail end of the Enlightenment. So my question for you, monsieur, what did they use for erasing pencil marks for 170 years? Did they use them at all? Did they just cross things out? No, they They had something they used. It would get rid of the graphite on the page. Right. 
Did they use like leaves? They rubbed leaves on it? No. They rubbed, I don't know, what? Bread. Bread? Look no further than bread on your table. Back in the day, artists, scientists, government officials, and anyone else prone to making mistakes <laughs> would wad up a small piece of bread and moisten it ever so slightly and the resulting ball of dough erased pencil marks on paper. Wow. Almost as well as erasers did in the years to come. Huh. And so. erasers came out because of rubber, things like rubber. Yeah, yeah. But there were 170 years when there weren't erasers while they used bread, Pe- damp bread. To get rid of mistakes. Yeah. You used bread. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I had I never knew about that. Okay, Marcia, you've heard people say, I'm going to read them the Riot Act. Uh-huh. What, what is, is the Riot Act? That's my question. Well, I don't know. There actually was a riot act. It was a British law passed in 1714 to prevent riots. (laughs) And it went to effect only when it was read aloud by an official. So an official had to read the riot act. If too many people were gathering and looking troublesome, an officer would let them know that if they didn't disperse, he would read them the riot act. (laughs) Really? And then they would face punishment. Okay. Now another question I have, another expression. Hands down. Somebody says he won hands down. What Uh does that usually mean? It means without dispute. Without effort, hands down. Does it? Well, it's obvious, it's easy, easy to say that's the answer. Okay, fine. Where does that come from? It comes from a certain type of sport. Okay, something with hands down. A sport with animals. Animals. Oh, was it the uh, back in the days of... Uh, You're right, gerbil racing, yes. <laughs> Coliseum days? No, it didn't go back that far. Okay, back. It goes back to horse racing, when if you're ahead of everyone oh. else, you can relax your grip on the reins and let your hands down. So when you win hands down, you win easily. And that's where that expression came from. Huh. Horse racing. All right. Hey, how many applications for world records does the Guinness Book of World Records receive every year, you think? Man, I'll bet it's in the thousands. I'll say 15,000. That'd be a lot. It would be. But they receive an incredible 1,000 applications every week, over 50,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. And there's no shortage, it seems, of people who want to claim the title for best in the world. Although doing so is no simple matter. It takes a lot of rigmarole to get considered even. You mean there's a lot of process. Yeah, there is a lot of process. Process, routines, and protocols. The, the yes. Guinness data, just going back to the numbers here, the Guinness database holds more than 40,000 records and fewer than 40%, just 15,000 have made it into the website, let alone the book, which is a lot fewer. Wow. So uh, it's very hard to get uh, you know that distinction. It's, That's right, because they often send observers to contests yeah, to watch and yeah. determine if there was a winner that yeah. they could put in the book. And the book remains one of the best-selling copyrighted books of all time since it came out in '55. Uh, and who you know who finally picks the winners here? It's uh, up to the editor in chief and the rest of the editorial staff to make those tough calls on who makes the cut. How many applications do they get in a year? Uh, in a year, over fifty thousand. Over fifty thousand. Yes. Wow. Uh, and um, applications take uh, 12 weeks to process, and there's a $5 fee to apply for a new record instead of applying to break an existing record, which, oh, is, really? which is free. But if you want to rush things along and be considered uh, immediately and be looked into. Or can be expedited for money. Yes. Just like the government. Yes. <laughs> Priority applications, Bob, currently cost $800 for people trying to break existing record and 1000 for those who want to set new records. Well, money so always talks, doesn't it? Does, it does, doesn't it? That's so one way for them to get some cash. 
Hey, recently you and I had a nice little press uh, that went on the web about our show, and we thought that was great. Our local Ozaki News Graphic printed it and put it on the web, and uh, it kind of smoked out friends that I didn't even know were listeners, uh-huh. one of whom is a, a fellow named Mark Druick, who I worked with uh, when I was in advertising at Hoffman York Compton. I'm telling you this because he wants to correct us on one important recent well, fact. Well, gee, new <laughs> listeners, and now they're correcting us already. <laughs> All right, what did he say? Okay, Mark. He said, uh, in a, remember a couple weeks ago, we said, in a mad, 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 mad world, I said, he's under the big W. Yeah. I said, I think oh. it's under the Hollywood sign, right? Yeah. He said, actually, the W was not the W in the Hollywood side, but in fact, four palm trees planted at an angle that made them appear oh, as a W. that's right. So thank you, Mark, for giving us that uh, that correction. And he also adds one bit of Ethel Merman trivia. What was the last movie Ethel Merman appeared in? It One of your favorites? You always loved Ethel Merman the I way she sang. I didn't love her. I just... Well, you impersonated her. I impersonated her. There's no business. Black show business. Okay. okay but, uh, what I, was her last movie? Her last movie. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen her in a movie. It was Up in the Sky. Was up in the sky. She what? did just a little cameo in one of the great oh, comedies. Oh, was it Airplane? Airplane. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that With was her last Kareem movie. Kareem and all those. That's funny. So thanks to our newly discovered listener, Mark Druick. Yeah. <laughs> Thank that's you, great. Mark. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, Bob, uh, besides locusts, what are some of the other 10 plagues that visited Egypt in the biblical book of Exodus? Oh, God, the 10 plagues of Egypt. Yeah, how so many th- can you name, honey? There were the, uh, well, there was flooding. That was one. Wait a second. I don't see flooding, no. Okay, I don't know. What were they? Hail, fire, frogs, lice, livestock diseases, mm. darkness, boils, the death of firstborn sons, Nope, no problem with girls, and all water turning to blood. Oh, God. Good old Exodus is full of fun things. Hey, those, fun times. Those are the 10 plagues that visited Egypt. 10 of those, and then finally they let the people go. Good Lord. All right, two questions about the United States. All righty. Let's look at a map of the United States in your mind. Okay. Bisecting it in the middle is the Mississippi River, right? Right. Okay, you know there are big states out west. What is the largest state east of the Mississippi River? The largest state State east east. of the Mississippi River would be... I'll give you four. Okay. Is it Ohio? Is it Georgia? Is it New York, Florida, or Michigan? My guess was before the group, I was thinking New York's pretty big. New York? Yeah. New York is pretty big, but it's not the biggest. And what is? Georgia. Oh, really? It has a total area of 59,489 square miles. It's the largest state east of the Mississippi River by landmass, even bigger than New York State. I didn't know that. Now, what's the biggest state east of the Mississippi River when you consider landmass plus the territorial waters under its control? Oh, Give you a hint. It's a Great Lakes state. It is? Yeah. It's a place you've lived. (laughs) I'll say Wisconsin. Michigan. It was Michigan. Michigan. You and I have both lived in Michigan. You look at a map, you see Michigan smack dab in the middle of the Great Lakes, and portions of those lakes are under Michigan's control. Portions are state territory. Michigan's landmass is close to Georgia's. It's 58,100 miles compared to Georgia's 59,495 miles. But when you add the territorial waters, that includes roughly half of Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, and Lake Huron, plus portions of Lake St. Clair and Lake Erie. So Michigan 
has a total of 97,990 square miles of territory. Huh, wouldn't have guessed that at all. Yeah, only Alaska has more water territory than Michigan. So Michigan and Georgia, far larger than you think. And Michigan and Georgia, they have this in common. Most of their land is forests. In Michigan? Michigan and Georgia. More than half of Michigan's land area is still forest, and 60% of Georgia is pine forest. And speaking of the Guinness Book of World Records, Mm -hmm. how long do you think the longest beard was ever recorded? The longest beard? Yeah. The longest beard beard, recorded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this must be something that just kept growing and growing. And then they just kept bundling it up and carrying it, this person, (laughs) as they went places. But I think hair only grows so far, doesn't it? It stops at some point. So I will say this is probably too far, 12 feet. Well, no, it was 17 and a half feet. Oh, 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 Lord. a, A guy named Hans Lansgath matted his beard into a coil so it would keep getting longer, you know, and he could flick it over his shoulders and so forth. <laughs> he died in Iowa in 1927, and he wanted his beard to be cut off after death for posterity. His son donated it in 1967 to the Smithsonian Institute. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. And you should see a picture of it. It's really gross. There's oh. like five people holding it. And Jeez. I couldn't do that. That is really gross. It is. I don't know why it is. I mean, it's just hair. It's, but oh, my God. 17 and a half feet. Wow. That is a mind blower. <laughs> and the fact that the Smithsonian accepted it is a mind blower. Yeah, and posed with it. <laughs> we're proud of this. Yeah, look at what we have. Come. We have a lot of other stuff that's more interesting, you but we're proud of this. That should be over at Ripley's, not the Smithsonian. Here, it's way over there. <laughs> All right. Okay, Marsha, I've got a quote to end the show today. John Maynard Keynes, he uh-huh. was a famous economist. He championed government spending to control the economy. What were his last words? I wish I'd drunk more champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, just don't spend so much time on business. Yes, just enjoy uh, all yourself. all those facts and figures. Okay. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to send us your trivia question or correction. <laughs> no, send the corrections to Bob. Send me the good questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can go to our website, theofframp.show, scroll down to Contact Us, and you can leave your information there. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for now. That's a half hour goes by fast here, doesn't it, Marsh? It sure Especially does. when you're talking about long facial hair. <laughs> Actually, Seven I, and a half feet. I Let that be I, in your dreams tonight. I feel like it went too long this day. I don't know why, because that just graded me the wrong way. All right. All right. I got two other little fun facts here. Let me have a fun fact. What do jello and the human brain have in common? Well, they're both kind of wobbly. <laughs> well, that's kind of it, actually. If you hook up jello to an EEG, it registered movements virtually identical to the brain waves of a healthy adult. No kidding. That's according to the book Who Knew? Did you know that Twinkies originally tasted like bananas? I did know that. Oh, you did know that? Yes. That was the original flavor. Yes. Why did they change it? Well, that I don't know. Well, the United States experienced a banana shortage during Ah. World War II, and the banana filling was replaced by uh, vanilla-flavored cream. I would have liked banana Twinkie. Yeah. I might have eaten that. More than the one that they have now. But it's all right. You, you got a thousand years to eat your old Twinkie in the closet. Oh, it'll, so. it'll last a long time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it'll be still be there when you're yeah. bouldering in the grave. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay. <laughs> time to check out, Bob. No, no, it's not time to check out. Oh, I meant the show, Bob. Oh, oh, okay. 
I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. We hope you join us next time when we return with more interesting facts and some fiction, too, here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.